Welcome to Think Oral, where we connect the unconnected between oral and physical health. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Levine. And I'm your host, Maria Filipova. Let's get at it. Welcome, everyone, to this next episode of the Think Oral Health podcast. This is a lovely day today and a great morning because we're starting the day with Dr. Jonathan Levine, who you know very, very well, and a new conversation partner for us, discovering the ways we could innovate and shape oral systemic health. And so I'm very pleased to be able to introduce our guest. And without further ado, I will pass it on to Dr. Jonathan Levine to tell us about our guest today. Yes. Well, Maria, excited for this podcast with our, with our very good friend, Jeff Ligabel. I almost called him Dr. Jeff Ligabel, but he is a doctor in his own right as it relates to changing and improving healthcare and especially dentistry. His background is one of an investment banker with Hulahan Loki, and he's currently the president and CEO of an amazing dental service organization, the new trend in dentistry of organizing dental practices, 42 North Dental. It's a growing DSO. They've been at it for longer than many. They've seen trends that are happening in the industry, and they are really leading the way in changing the delivery of care through an organized approach. Mr. Ligabel uh, started really in the healthcare group, Hulahan Loki, really going after certain transactions, including hospitals, dental groups, and physician groups. And he is perfectly positioned to help us today, Maria, give us some insights in the new trends in dentistry with the dental service organizations. What are the advantages of them? And what are some of the challenges that he might be seeing in the road ahead as we look to improve the quality of our delivery of care at dentistry. And we understand that oral health is and can lead to overall health. And connecting those dots between dentistry as medicine is what this podcast really is all about. So let me lead it off by asking Jeff, first of all, Jeff, welcome to our podcast with uh, Maria and myself. Yeah, thanks for having me. I chuckle hearing you call me uh, Dr. Ligabo makes me laugh. Uh, there's, there's only one Dr. Ligabo. My older sister is a doctor. Uh, there you go. <laughs> if she happens to listen to this, I'll get a lot of ribbing about, the, you know, you're not a doctor and I, I certainly don't pretend to be. I am very passionate about healthcare and improving people's lives, but I will never claim to be a doctor and you will never sit in my chair. And <laughs> True to our no. patients, we're already starting stirring trouble, Dr. Lodi. Yeah. They don't people call me a... They don't, family, there is... They, 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 they don't call me a troublemaker for nothing. That's for sure. So, Jeff, let's start it off. The dental industry today, dental service organizations used to be called dental practice management companies. You're leading one of the top DSOs in the country. You've been in the industry for the, of the DSOs over a decade. You've seen the changes, the consolidation. Where are we today? 
in the DSO world? And where do you think we're going? Great question. And I have been leading this company for coming up on nine years. So that's my true being sort of headfirst into DSO space. But for 15 years prior to that, you mentioned my stint at Houlihan Loki. I, I actually started the dental group at Houlihan Loki. So I've been working with DSOs for close to 25 years and have seen the evolution of the space back to your comment about dental practice management, the early organizations and just being serving as an advisor. I still think we're early. If you look at, it's still a, a very, while well, consolidation has been ramping up in the last couple of years, it's still very fragmented and I don't see that changing. I think the there will continue to be a trend towards consolidation driven by a couple things. Number one, I think there's a lot of interest in investing in dentistry because people view it as a very good place to invest. It's a very stable industry. There's a lot of growth opportunities in dentistry just because a lot of patients don't receive care and need care. And, and so that's if you think about an investment, whether you're an individual dentist or a group of investors, it's good to know that you have runway to grow in the future. The second thing, I think the industry has just gotten more complex. COVID alone changed a lot. If you think about the OSHA requirements changing rapidly and CDC guidelines, it's very difficult to stay on top of just how rapidly things change. The need for better electronic medical records, obviously, in medicine and going forward in dentistry, the payer dynamics are more complex. Staffing, there's a shortage of dental workforce across really all categories. And so it's just harder to find good people. So you really have to invest in training and development programs. There's just a lot of reasons why being part of a group can be a benefit. It's not the only way to practice, obviously, but I think a lot of people are seeing some of those benefits. And I think that's the other thing driving consolidation towards the group model. But Jeff, what has changed today? The DSOs have been around for north of 20 years. Why today is the money coming in? Why is private equity so excited? Why are the Blackstones of the world in? Why are these large private equity firms all over dentistry? Valuations are going up. There clearly is a trend where it's pretty steep as far as the growth and the impact of DSOs in the overall industry. What has changed more recently? Is it post-COVID? Is it they're realizing how stable it is? What's your insights there since you've been living on both sides of that coin? I really think there are some groups, I'd like to believe 42 North Dental is one of them, but there are some groups who I think have really demonstrated a model that is a really good model that is really promotes growth in dentists and their teams and is really a good place to practice dentistry is really demonstrated an ability to, to drive a higher standard of clinical care and also a better and more consistent patient experience. And I think with some of those winning models, you mentioned some private equity behemoths that are very well known. They don't invest in flash in the pan type companies. They invest in companies that have really proven that their model works and that they're able to drive uh, growth. But the only way to drive growth is by really establishing a patient base and providing great care to that patient base. So it's really the only way to do it. And so 
I think there are a number of companies that have really demonstrated a successful model and that has attracted money coming in. Now, I will say there's a lot of money coming into dentistry and there's a lot of companies popping up every day. And, and one of the things that I'm always talking about, I'll be at a conference next week talking about is it's just making sure that people know it isn't just trying to gobble up grab practices and grow revenue because you have more practices, which means more revenue. If you really don't figure out why somebody is better off being part of your organization, and it's the things I mentioned, it's really providing benchmarks, clinical training, mentorship, support, all of those kind of things, then all you're doing is trying to grab revenue. And that's not a successful long-term business model. And I think for anybody coming in and really trying to build a bigger business, a successful business, you really have to figure out what are you going to be great at and why are people going to be better off being part of your organization versus another organization or being on their own? Yeah. So let's go right there because I love what you just said. So if we're looking at an industry that's changing, if we look at the opportunity to improve the delivery of care, because now we're 20 years out really on this kind of DSO industry. And if you look at the successful ones, the predictably successful ones like 42 North, the focus, and let's just go with 42 North, the focus on the quality control, on the ability to raise up and to enhance the lives of your clinicians, of your team. Can you go there? The differentiation, for the different DSOs and where you see this potential, where you can really have optimism of the future of dentistry by DSOs doing the right thing for everyone, both patient and team and providers. Yep, absolutely. And, and I would say for us, I, I know the, the other players and I could try to articulate their value proposition. I, I could do a decent job at it, but I, I'll, I'll leave that to them. But there are some really great companies out there. For us, it all starts and frankly ends with that culture of delivering excellent clinical quality and a great patient experience. And the investments that we make and the strategic initiatives that we prioritize across the organization are always centered around those two things. That's our mission um, that we talk about regularly. And so... Anything we do, any investment we make, whether it's time or money, should be driving either or both of those things further. And so when you talk about Dr. Shalaba, who's our chief clinical officer, my key, our key clinical partner and, and leader at 42 North, his focus is really on driving a culture of quality, a culture of safety, and a culture of efficiency, and really thinking about things that will help us in those areas. So I could go through a whole bunch of examples. I'm happy to talk about them in as much detail as you want, but a, a very simple one is let's talk about safety and let's talk about quality uh, together. And we believe that compliance is critical. And so we are investing in compliance and really automating compliance and making sure that we're able to really efficiently help the practices ensure that they are compliant with all sorts of regulation. I talked about OSHA earlier. You talked about the different waterline testing and all the things that go into making sure that your practice is compliant. It's hard to keep up with that on your own and know 
Am I really doing all the right things? So we're automating it and making it uh, easy so that people know exactly what needs to be done. And we have a team of people, a compliance team that really helps both explain things and help people if they're struggling in an area to make sure. And it's just one of the areas that we believe is the foundation. If you're not excelling in that area, it's hard to talk about being a good business or what how you're going to be successful next year if you're not covering those basics. I'm glad that you went down the compliance path because people don't appreciate how important it is. And actually, there's a lot of room for innovation in that area. You could call it back office, processing, administrative side of care. That's true, actually, both on the medical and the dental side. And so I spent a lot of my time thinking and advising companies on where should we apply our innovative mindset and startups trying to solve problems in dental. And most people gravitate towards the shiny kind of splashy things where there's so much opportunity, especially when you know that more than half of every dollar that's spent on medical cost goes to administrative stuff, right? The process, the claims processing, the administration, the compliance side. Only a fraction of what we spend actually goes to the medical administrative, the actual care. And so, Jeff, maybe, and that goes to both you and Jonathan, because you're applying that, you're running a business at the end of the day. That business needs to be profitable, to be sustainable in the future. And that business needs to be compliant. And your value prop obviously has to do with patient quality outcomes and safety and patient experience. But the compliance piece and the profitability piece is also equally important there. So maybe from that pragmatic lens of running a business and delivering a high quality care that Dr. Shalaba is committed to, where do you see the biggest opportunities that you would, if you were a well-funded, hungry startup right now, looking to solve a problem, make an impact, where would you guide them to go? Yeah, that's a great question. And we did recently make it an investment into a software technology that really automates. I probably shouldn't name them, but I'm happy to talk offline about our experience there. I'll call those the table stakes. And if you go around to the providers that are part of 42 North Dental, whether it's a general dentist, a specialist, or a hygienist, or any of the team that works in the practices, if you say to them, what are you most excited about? that has happened recently or that's coming, I would venture to guess that very few of them would say, oh, we invested in this great automated compliance tracking software to make sure that to really streamline our compliance protocols and make sure that we are in front of things. But I put it in the category of things that people take for granted. And I mentioned that because it, it is it very time consuming. It, it takes a lot of time and energy. And I can't ensure that Every one of our practices is compliant with every regulation, nor can Dr. Shalaba. But if we provide tools to make it easier, it's something the practices are very well equipped. They understand what they're supposed to do. The question is always, do they have the time to do it? Do they sometimes forget or they get a little behind because something else is pressing and something has to give? So really putting in place and we've invested in this technology to provide to the offices a, a scorecard real time and alerts on, hey, you you need to do this in the next week or you're coming up on this in the next 30 days just to make it easy for people to make sure that we don't miss anything. And again, we think that that's critical and really the table stakes. And 
I do believe that somewhere down the line, and this maybe gets a little ahead of where we're going, but if you think about medicine and the investments that medicine has had to make in technology and software and electronic medical records, and you start to get the quality initiatives and all the things that have have happened in medicine, they're going to happen in dentistry, whether we all like it or not. It may not happen in the next three months, six months, 12 months, but eventually I believe that payers will be either paying or not paying based on meeting certain thresholds. They might be paying extra if people meet certain thresholds, if you want to go down a carrot path versus a stick path. But I think that's coming. And I also think it's coming where patients can understand what the compliance track record is of their practice and determine if they want to go to that practice or if they want to choose a different practice. Right now, patients don't have access to that information. They really can only look at a Google review and and those are helpful. Uh, we believe in Google reviews and we don't always love them, but we work really hard to make sure that our patients have a great experience and that presents itself on Google and other forms of social media. But I think in the future, people will be able to look and see, is this practice up to date with all of its compliance metrics? Is this practice, do they have a high remake rate or a low remake rate? Like none of that exists today, but I think it will in our lifetimes. And we're trying to be, or we are, we believe really getting in front of that and trying to create a culture at 42 North where we are looking at those things and we are tracking those things and we are promoting those things within 42 North so that we can be leading in those areas. Yeah. Patients as empowered consumers, that would be truly the step function change that we would need to see some of the changes in behaviors and maybe even incentive structures. On that front, how are you, and would love to see the other side of it, right? We all talk about empowered patients as consumers. What's the, uh, that is not the current state, right? Change is difficult. And so do you, maybe just for those listeners who are outsiders of the dental industry or even the medical space, is that always a good thing, right? Let's just give the argument for somebody because there's a lot of folks who don't believe that patient having enough education, or maybe we there's folks who are not so comfortable having rankings and there's all kinds of limitations to how do you measure the rankings and what specifically, how do you evaluate Dr. Levine versus another doctor? Just give us them, and maybe Jonathan, I'll ask you to be the contrarian here. Is there a downside of being transparent in terms of evaluating doctors, oral health physicians, maybe I should call them. Is that always a good thing? And what are some of the pitfalls that we might end up in that kind of scenario? That's or you're saying you know, it's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And any of these things are can be fraught with good things, bad things that are cumbersome, make it even more difficult to run a successful practice. And even right now, there's a Fairly high profile hospitals are pushing back on rankings and are they good? And are we going to take ourselves out of the rankings because we don't believe that they're good rankings? That's always a fear and a reality at some level. I think that if the metrics are objective, I think that on the whole, they are positive. Now, and I'll talk about AI as a perfect example because we are working with AI. And we've also talked to payers about how they're working with AI. And so we're comparing notes there and seeing how that possibly could uh, result in better care ultimately for patients. And so 
I believe that with the technology that's available today and coming into dentistry, I do think that there are objective measures that people could be held accountable to and it would provide more transparency for patients about the practice and why they choose a practice or don't. Now, obviously, a lot of people may not love that concept because there's always, you're going to have winners and losers, right? Anytime you have rankings, there's people at the top of the rankings, there's people at the bottom of the rankings. So if you're a provider that really has conviction that you would show up on the top of the rankings, you probably love the concept of having these tools available for the public. If, if you're towards the bottom, you'd rather not, right? But as a consumer, as a patient, I would love to know some things about being able to benchmark different providers. And you have that in other areas of medicine. And I guess my ultimate point is I believe that whether we all like that or don't like that, I think there will be a day when that information is more accessible for patients. And so we are taking the position. We're not shying away from it. We're going to lead in that area. And we're doing that now within our own practices. We don't put it on the internet and patients can't look at remake rates among different practices that are supported by 42 North. But Dr. Shalaba and our clinical management team know what they are and they can leverage that to say, hey, there's something going on here. We need to go in and figure out how we can help this particular practice or this particular provider because they have that ability to benchmark. And so maybe there's a, some continuing education needed or something that can be provided to, to boost them. And I guess ultimately, we're believers that if you measure something, it's a great starting point to say, we're going to improve that. And improving important metrics is good for patients. And that's really what it's all about. Goes back to John uh, Doerr's yeah. measure what matters, right? That's being exactly. the model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Well, you get what you measure. But just to weigh in on that, I couldn't agree with Jeff more about as we look at technology and as we look at something like AI, of course, I might be a little biased in this, but only because ChatGPT4 ranked the top five dental practices. And I'm not going to tell you who, who might have been on that short list, but what ChatGPT can do, right, is synthesize everything on the internet. And if on the internet you had all of these things about a healthcare practice, a dental practice, it's very possible that if you actually created AI focused on this, you really could understand what the top practices might be for you as technology really improves. So that will probably help us distinguish the differentiation with within the industry. But, and I love also, Jeff, where you were going with leadership and culture, because as you think about what you're doing at 42 North, you you have as a company comment for us a little bit on, on that focus of enhancing and improving these dental practices, that focus of organic growth and not a company just trying to put revenue together and getting that arbitrage of, of that but really having real value added for these dental practices and your experience with that. Yeah. So I think the first thing I would say for us is we are a multi-specialty group practice organization. And so we have a large team of committed specialists that are part of our organization full-time and work among the practices. 
In some cases, we have some standalone specialty practices, but we also have specialists that are working within the four walls of a multi-specialty practice that's also providing general dentistry and hygiene and everything that goes along with that. And that is one way to immediately grow a practice, not immediately, but near term grow a practice and really provide that convenience and access for patients of a practice by leveraging our specialty network and having specialists that can come in and take care of patients right there in the practice. And that kind of side-by-side general dentist specialist working side-by-side, we, we find to be a really powerful model to have that level of collaboration and care. And that's one thing. We also, the practices that we support are all multi-doc practices in addition to having specialties. And so out of multiple doctors, multiple hygienists, and we really believe with putting some marketing, whether it's digital or just being available and accessible for patients, that we're able to develop and, and build a large patient base by having multiple providers. And those are the things that we look for. I can't tell you how many practices we've talked to about an affiliation. And if, let's say, a practice has a full-time doctor that owns a practice and then a part-time dentist working in their practice. and we sit down and talk about, okay, we're a company that is going to want to figure out how to grow the practice. So what are the ways that we could do that? And a lot of times in that conversation, someone will say, well, we'll talk about, hey, let's talk about your part-time dentist. Is there an opportunity to have a full-time doctor working alongside you, have more capacity for patients? And someone will say like, well, maybe, but, and then when you really get into it, you find out that the practice is booked out, hygiene's booked out six months and it's really hard. You can always get in that emergency because a lot of practices are really good at doing that. But if someone has to cancel their appointment today, there's nothing available for three months. And we think that's an opportunity with, you need another provider in that practice. And let's not just put them in and let them be bored all day. Let's put them in and figure out, I've had other practices, similar concept where they've got five full-time hygienists and one and a half doctors. And you look at it and you're like, there's five patients in a hygiene chair all day long. And how are you even doing exams on those patients, let alone doing other forms of dentistry? You find, oh, well, you know, we, our exams, you know, we, we try to keep up here and there. But if the hygienist sees something, we'll do an exam. Like, I, we don't believe that is the standard of care, right? I, I One of my things I said, I've been to the dentist twice a year my entire life, and I don't think I've ever gone to a, dent, a dental appointment and not had a dentist pop in and take a look in my mouth. Like, I, I believe that's the standard of care. And so we look at that and say, well, okay, if you have five full-time hygienists, one doctor can do all the dentistry and do the exams. And uh, so you have a capacity issue. You need to bring in another provider. And so growing the practice, growing the provider base, having effective patient communication tools, both to potential new patients, making sure you're accessible, but also there's so many, every practice that we support, every practice we look at, there's so many patients that have been in 12 months ago, 24 months ago, 36 months ago, and haven't been back for one reason or another. And there really needs to be a really easy outreach to attract those patients back in. And some of them moved and obviously they live in a different state. They're never going to come back, but some of them have just gotten busy and they, they need a reminder. And it all comes back to that capacity and having a good patient outreach program. Yeah, yeah, that's 
I want to pick up on two things that both of you brought up. One, Jeff, the shortage of providers and the provider hygienist ratio is really critical. And that's, that is the state that we find ourselves in and we have been. And it's very easy to start looking at business optimization metrics and be like, well, if I can only have one more hygienist and stretch the time of the provider I have. And that quickly gets into some of the other metrics because that something needs to give, right? Either a patient will not have a positive experience or something will get missed. So that balanced scorecard, if you will, of evaluating care is really important. But where Jonathan started us with this whole example of chat GPT, I also ask myself a question very often, how can we use technology to augment our provider teams as a team so technology becomes an augmentation tool and everybody gets to work at the top of their skill set and top of their license. We know that ChatGPT has passed the MBA final exam from Wharton and the medical boards and some parts of the bar exam. I don't know if anybody has tried ChatGPT to get a, d- a dental degree, but with all joking aside, I think there's some given all its limitations, right? It's a large learning model. It's been trained on a lot of data, sometimes gives us incorrect data, inconsistent data, facts, non-facts, representative facts, all kinds of limitations. That said, these large learning models like ChatGPT could be helpful for some of those repetitive, administrative, menial tasks. Like, with all due respect to all the payers out there, writing a prior authorization form, right? If there's something that the provider could tee up and say, give me a, write up a prior authorization form for a patient with these types of characteristics, covering those types of reasons, and then the provider gets to review it before it gets sent. I think that might be a good example where technology like ChatGPT augments our, lightens up the administrative burden, right? There's probably things around basic education things like uh, write a blurb on why is periodontal disease important for cardiac health for a seventh grade level, right? We don't want our providers to be doing that, but if somebody could write this for them, they could review it at a seventh grader level and then that could be used. I'm throwing out opportunities there for both to get your reaction, Jeff and Jonathan, but also for our listeners out there who are looking at all these news headlines of ChatGPT and Microsoft and AI, to really think about those kind of safe spaces, areas where, for me, AI cannot, should not be touching patients directly just yet. And as long as it's confined in a very discreet task that's administrative, that's well-studied, and then has the oversight, what I call clinician in the loop, then I see some opportunities that could be very interesting. Any thoughts, reactions to that? Yeah. Absolutely. And let me, I'm going to come back to AI in a minute because we are actually working with AI currently. But the first thing, kind of chat GPT, we're not, we have not used chat GPT. Actually, maybe we have, we have about 1,700 employees across 42 North Dental. And I have no idea if any of them have, gotten creative and used chat GPT for something that I'm not aware of. I'm sure somebody has. Well, uh, I've had but, my team put together presentations for me using chat GPT. And I, got yeah, and I, I have some friends who've talked about things they've used it for, including one told me he used it to change his, his LinkedIn profile and bio well, and all kinds of things. So I, I think the things we've talked about and that seem sort of 
potentially obvious to me. I mentioned we have a clinical management team that Dr. Shalaba leads. It's a team of practicing dentists and they get together and talk about new clinical technologies and, and standards and but they also do, they put out a lot of information, the organization using our intranet, and they have a clinical corner, if you will, where they're publishing articles about anything that they read about that they think would be helpful for our clinicians. That's an obvious one, right? If we yeah. wanted to do something this month on periodontal disease or implants or whatever, I'm certain you could use chat GPT in a powerful way and say, I'd like to do a blog or an article on this topic covering these three or four things and make it at this education level, whether it's a basic or an advanced. I've heard some really cool uses of chat GPT for stuff like that. Same thing on marketing, right? We are constantly thinking about how to effectively market the dental practices that we support. And some of that's local showing up to the town fair like that. I don't know that chat GPT is real helpful with that because you have to be present and, you know, hand out toothbrushes and have a smile on your face. But other things like what should your website say to drive good SEO results? I'm sure chat GPT could be helpful with that. Content is really important, putting out content. So same thing when you're talking about marketing your practice and different audience, right? You're trying to attract patients as opposed to educate your clinicians. But if I want to put a blog out to my patients so that I'm visible and I want to educate them on periodontal disease or the benefits of fluoride or whatever, I'm sure you could just pop that into chat GPT and save yourself a lot of time. So I do think there are a lot of applications that you could use it for. I personally haven't, but I may be behind the times in that area because I have heard some people really leveraging it. On the AI side more broadly, we do see real power and value in AI dentistry right now. And we are using AI to basically provide right real time in our practices. When you take a radiograph, we have AI overlaid and we're actually going through a practice management software change that's going to make this really slick because it's going to be right in the 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 base software that our practices are using. But think of it as a lot of times the x-rays are, are taken by a hygienist and that hygiene visit and the doctor's popping in to do an exam. In this scenario, doctor can come into x-rays being up on the screen with things already highlighted for them to make sure that they take a look at, not because they were necessarily going to miss it, but it's right there for them to come in and say, hey, here's the four or five things that AI has highlighted, and I want to make sure that I take a look at these. And when I present a treatment plan or discuss what's happening with the patient, I have this kind of already at my disposal. And it's not because somebody's right or somebody's wrong. It's almost like a real-time second opinion. And at least the practices we've been using it in, the providers feel like it helps them really efficiently and, and effectively look at an x-ray. And a lot of the patients have been really interested to say, hey, well, tell me more about this. And for the most part, they've been really supportive and it just really helped to highlight and articulate for them what the dentist is telling them. It's ultimately the dentist patient, the dentist diagnosis, the dentist treatment plan, but it sure doesn't hurt to have some technology really highlighting things and making sure that sometimes things get missed, right? You're in a hurry. You just don't see something quite the same way. And the AI is not telling you what to do or telling the patient what to do. 
but it's a pretty powerful tool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a general comment about technology. When technology hits and people are asked to change or to learn new things, fear takes over. So when AI first hit, just let's think about it. I was on a panel. I was honored to be on this World Innovation Conference. And the question was asked, is AI going to take over being a dentist? What's that going to be about? But really, when you listen to the experts in AI that's driving all of this change, it's really the notion that AI is going to be a co-pilot for us in everything we do. And I really look at it as AI not artificial intelligence personally, but really amplified intelligence. It, it allows us to do things so, so much better. The notion of having up on the screen, and I've been working with AI in my practice for about five years with a company called Denti AI, and I got a company called Pearl and Overjet. And there's a number of new people in this realm. At first, when it came out, Jeff, the conversation was, oh my God, big brother's looking over me and they're going to question my diagnosis. But the truth of the matter is, that you now have validation. And the truth of the matter is, these companies are coming out with patient-facing graphics to make it easy to understand why there is a 70% chance that that small little lesion is important either to hold or, or, or to figure out how do we stop it or how do we take care of it and get it out. So AI becomes this way of us doing what we do and that's all of healthcare and really all industries. How do we do it better? Which then gets to the point, Maria, and, and weigh in here, and I think it's important for the listeners, is the advantage of an organized approach to dentistry because it is so complicated. The delivery of care, dentistry, medicine is complicated. And you do need people with individual skill sets and capabilities bringing their superpowers to the table to improve business models, to improve, in this case, delivery of care to our patients and to the people also doing that. And that's why it's so exciting to see the growth of organized dentistry, and I'll call it that, and this, this phrase of dental service organizations, and I'm sure it'll have a couple of new names in the next 10, 15 years, but the advantage of having a clinical team, having this organized collaboration, having QAQC and compliance focus, uh, it's just in, very difficult for the individual practice and clinician to keep up with all of these changes, all these innovations, and all the things that they have to know and do. I want to make sure that I'm highlighting, um, hopefully our listeners are picking up on all the different threads when it comes to, I think we've been all answering the question, what is a good use case for AI in dental? And from my perspective, and just playing back our conversation so far, number one, you have to start with a space, a use case where there's enough data so that these algorithms could be trained. At the end of the day, irrespective of what kind of AI use case you're looking at, you have to be able to train that model. And Jeff, in your example, the radiographs, that algorithm that you're using for illustration to illustrate and mark up the radiographs before the dentist look at them, that model has been trained on volumes of images before that. And so you have some level of confidence that the training data was accurate versus scraped from Facebook, scraped from somewhere else, right? So number one, do we have a good training data set that we could train those algorithms on, right? And there's all kinds of methodologies to that. Number two, is the use case allowing 
for a clinician in the loop. I can't stress this enough. You can't just get like a radiograph that was read by an AI and present it in the app to the patient and say, here's what your diagnosis looks like, right? All of these AI decision support tools need to have validation in the second set of eyes from a clinician, trained clinician. And the third one is what I call the New York Times front page peer factor, right? I still remember in my days at at a large health plan provider, we were looking at using data from electronic medical record to identify patients who are at risk of depression, suicide thoughts. And we were very excited that we were getting up with some high predictive power algorithms. However, the company was using data from Facebook, from Twitter, that person's profile. If left unchecked, these algorithms will, are always hungry for data. They'll always go out there. And frankly, the data that's in social media is not always equitable. Accurate. <laughs> and frankly, sometimes these algorithms get very offensive. And they racially profile people. And so that's that explainability factor. You have to be comfortable with that answer and going to somebody and saying, because you live in a zip code area or poor area, or because you have this ethnicity within your high risk of mental health issues, that's not what we want to happen, right? So that's my my perspective. And those three things alone, if we only focus on those three things alone, then we could start drawing up lists of other use cases for AI. But let's keep it contained, keep clinicians in the loop, and then let's not land on anything offensive. Yeah, I know. That's amazing. And let me just add a little context to this conversation, because I'm going to roll back dentistry. Don't have to go long. Go eight to 10 years ago. Individual dentist making a diagnosis, drilling a tooth that might need not need it to be drilled. No AI, no ability to have some oversight or a co-pilot that validate and communicate extremely well to the patient. That's where we are today. So context is decisive. And if we think about how far we're coming within healthcare, with our new technologies, with our machine learning, and with all of these things that are happening, this dentistry, Jeff, you and I could talk about the digital workflow for a very long time. Our better diagnosis, the hygiene room, the center of innovation of a dental practice, There's so much that's happening in all of healthcare, and it's a very exciting, very exciting future. Maria, you headed up innovation, one of your team at Anthem Health. You understand the medical side. Now, we're fortunate to have someone like you in dentistry, and dentistry is even a slower adopter than medicine, but right now, it's catching up, and we're starting to really get there in the profession because of these new innovative business models like the DSO. So we've come a long way, is my message. I hate to sound like a commercial, but I really do believe we have. It's a really exciting time in dentistry to think about the the opportunity to leverage technology to drive better clinical outcomes. It, It also is more efficient. You think about, as you say, the digital workflows all the way through and then all the way through to the payment, right? And making sure that you get the proper insurance coverage and you pay the bill appropriately, like that whole thing can be seamless and, you know, just much enhanced. And then you layer on some of the clinical advancements, CBCT and laying AI on top and providing that that validation, as you said, it's a really exciting time. And I think that there's a lot of 
uh, exciting advancements in dentistry that will only help promote what we all stand for, frankly, which is better oral health and the importance. That's the other piece we haven't really talked about, but the increasing awareness of the importance of oral health. And it's not just a, a pretty smile or white teeth. It's really critical to your overall health. And the exposure around that is exciting. And you're hearing more and more about it in the mainstream media, not just from dentists who are you right. know, talking about how important it is. Yeah. Well, on that note, which yeah. here you go, President and CEO of 42 North, one of the leading DSOs is talking about the connectivity of oral health and the impact on overall health, which is uh, what my partner in crime, Maria Filipova and I the reason we started this podcast, I would say, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been an engaging conversation. Exciting to hear about what your thesis is behind 42 North, the growth and development of your company. There's so much more to come. I know with you in that leadership position, Maria, amazing. My partner in crime to have you on this journey with me. Feeling very blessed to have someone like Maria Filipova helping us unpack these conversations especially with somebody like Jeff Ligabel. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you both. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Think Oral Podcast. For the show notes and resources from today's podcast, visit us at www.outcomesrocket.health slash thinkoral. Or start a conversation with us on social media. Until then, keep smiling and connecting care.